Welcome to the Psychedelic Spotlight Podcast. I'm your host, David Flores, CEO of Global Track Solutions. In this episode, I speak with Lauren Taus, who is the founder of Embodied Life, whose focus is on integrating modern science and ancient wisdom to support transformation. Lauren is also a licensed psychotherapist and yoga teacher, and has been working under the supervision of Dr. Phil Wolfson, who is the author of the Ketamine Papers. She has been featured in Yoga Journal, Women's Health, USA Today, Self Magazine, and much more. In my conversation with Lauren, we discuss a variety of different topics and subject matters surrounding the growing community of psychedelic healing. More importantly, we discuss how the many different global and social events that have occurred over the past year have contributed to a rise throughout society in cases of depression and anxiety. And while it is a topic that may not always be easy to discuss, Lauren is kind enough to open up and talk about how important it is for individuals in and from positions of privilege to not only be willing to acknowledge and confront their privilege, but identify opportunities to utilize it to lift up others within society. As always, I hope you will enjoy this episode of the Psychedelic Spotlight Podcast and invite you to share your thoughts, opinions, and comments with us through our various social media networks. With that, Lauren, it is a pleasure to have you here with us today. How are you doing? I'm well. Thanks for having me, David. I'm excited for our conversation. I'm so excited too. I've been wanting to, as I mentioned before we started recording, to uh, connect with you for quite some time. So I'm so glad we've uh, been able to do this. So very happy to have you here with us. And I guess to start things off, Lauren, you know, why don't you talk to us a little bit about your work that you're involved in with uh, Embodied Life and how sort of, you know, it all came together, the passion that you have for it. Uh, and just give us the overview of, of everything that you're doing here with it. Sure. Well, my... My therapy practice, Embodied Life, integrates all of the di disparate threads of my own personal experience. And I like to think that my journey started well before I got here. But upon arrival, I was always a, a precocious kid with big questions and asking about life after death and, and really trying to understand what was happening in my family on deeper levels. Uh, you know, Winnicott talks about good enough parenting. I think I certainly got that. But there was stuff. And, you know, unpacking the stuff of my parents and kind of coming to my own heart in a good way, coming back to my own body in a good way involved things like yoga, things like psychedelic journey work, ceremonies, and things like therapy. <laughs> so when I, you know, started in my professional life to explore what would be my, my career, my purpose work, my mission, it was a, a, an exploration. And I had many different jobs along the way. But when I went back to graduate school, I knew that I would need to include the body in any sort of therapeutic work. Um, traditional psychotherapy is in many ways, hypercerebral, overly cognitive, and stays in, in the patterns of the problems. So I believe that psychedelic medicine can really support and be a strong ally in the shift and shed that is necessary for people to optimize their wellness and to really live the life that's there for them. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, I think that that's so encouraging. And when we talk about, you know, optimizing their well-being, um, you know, and, and we look at, you know, where we are here today, you know, the last 12 months or so have been unprecedented. There's no question about that from the pandemic to, you know, the traumatic events that we've seen unfold right before our very eyes of social injustice and racism. It's been a lot to handle and a lot to process and deal with for millions of people. And, 
that level of anxiety, depression, and PTSD that have stemmed from it, you know, is without question, you know, again, something that I know when, in speaking with a lot of, you know, therapists out there that they've never seen before, they're overwhelmed, you know, in terms of patients coming to them and individuals coming to them, seeking out ways to help deal with this trauma. Um, as someone like yourself, who I consider to be on the front lines, you know, as a psychotherapist, um, you know, what, what has been your experience here over the last year in terms of, you know, the trauma that you've seen people deal with from all these events and, you know, how have you been integrating your therapies and your treatments to help people sort of deal with it and get back onto a path of, you know, being able to optimize their own mental well-being? The last year and a half has certainly been one collective psychedelic experience. Let's step back and dissect that word yeah. psychedelic. It's mind expanding. It's mind bending. And the ways in which we've been asked to shift our lives, our lifestyles, and really confront our own mortality, all of us. And then to look at something that's not new, right? The Black Lives Matter movement was born not in any new problem, but an old one, one that like is as old as this country and older, right? So we've just been looking at what's been hidden. We've been seeing more and we've been asked to really sit with it. So I don't run an urgent care and, you know, I have spent quite a lot of times in um, the trenches, but I would say that on a whole, my, my, the population that I serve is in relative privilege. They can, they can afford mm -hmm. to pay for, for therapy. And it's still, everyone's really dealing with quite a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear and a lot of like disconnection and loneliness um, collectively, certainly uh, the, the traumas of, COVID-19, the traumas that have uh, erupted in, in front of our very eyes, as you said, um, have an impact that we have yet to understand. I, I know that every single one of my colleagues is uh, busy. And, you know, I have a waiting list that's very long and, and, and probably need to cut back on my direct service work. But people are anxious and people are have been depressed and people have been isolated and, um, and people have different levels of resilience in terms of how to manage these added stressors when the distractions of typical living are no longer as, or were no longer as readily available. I do think that we're kind of coming back to some sense of what we considered normal. Um, but there's a lot of dissociation, right? So with me and the way that I work, it's always about the body and the mind. It's an, I, I don't talk about or look at wellness without looking at the whole system, like mind, body, heart, spirit, if you go that way. And also the system that holds the person, like how, what is their community? You know, it's meant to be done in connection, not just internally, but how, how are we externally supported? Where are we plugged in? Where are we receiving care? Most definitely. And I mean, with that, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit too about um, the work that you've been involved in here with, with ketamine assisted, you know, psychotherapy. Um, I know that, you know, a lot of people have been talking about it. It's become a hot topic, um, but I think there's still a lot of, you know, misunderstanding and uh, misconceptions surrounding it and, you know, helping people understand that and how helping people understand the connection between these psychedelic compounds and these, these psychedelic substances and, 
psychotherapy. The, the two go hand in hand. And I think some people don't quite understand that. I've heard certain therapists refer to psychedelics merely as just a tool or as a key. And, but without psychotherapy, they're essentially not necessarily useless, but you're not going to get as much out of the experience. So can you, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, the, the two elements I'm talking about, you know, psychedelics and, you know, bringing them together with psychotherapy and how that is creating an optimal environment, so to speak, to help people sort of identify and deal with their trauma, uh, with their, these conditions, whether it be depression or anxiety. So if you could help us understand that, I think that'd be fantastic. In my personal practice, I don't engage the tool of medicine if I don't know who's who in your zoo, where you're looking to go and grow, what the, the obstacles and opportunities are. These tools of ketamine, MDMA, LSD, ayahuasca, psilocybin, San Pedro, et cetera, uh, are, are explosive. And, and they're not to be treated lightly. Like they, they are explosive tools. And when they're partnered with in a good way and stewarded well, they can really accelerate the process of homecoming. They can really, really support people in coming back to their hearts in a good way and living well. My father, who's my primary prescribing physician in my practice, likes to say that ketamine specifically is like it's the better, it's for the betterment of well people too. And as we're currently in this psych, next you know, second psychedelic renaissance in, in this country, there's a lot of emphasis on the ways in which these tools can support and treat mental illness and disease. I, I believe, and I think it's important to say that they're also good for like optimization, you know, what Carl Hart talks about with the pursuit of, of happiness, right? Like these things can facilitate connection in people who are not sick. That being said, I, I'm a, a strong advocate and I, I try to exercise my voice and my time and my resources towards the world in which all of these things are available for use. And when, when they're all legally available, I will still pick up ketamine quite a lot for the treatment of depression and anxiety. Right. And when you ask about the partnership between the medicine and the facilitator, the therapist, you know, in indigenous communities where uh, ayahuasca, for example, is, is just central to part, part of the ways in which people live, you'll have a shaman that lives down the road. So if you're feeling you need support in your integration work, you can just, you know, walk down the path and knock on the guy's door and sit down and have a chat. Like, that's not the world we live in. So I think that when someone living in a city goes to have a, a psychedelic experience and then gets shot back home without anybody that understands, it, it can actually be cruel. Right. And the, the role of the therapist is, uh, you know, in some ways like, sh like shamanic in quality in that it's in designed to provide the support that's necessary for whatever it is that's dead inside to die so the person can live. Right. I, I believe when people come to therapy or come to a psychedelic, it's because something needs to go and how we do that, uh, how we create the space that's safe enough for a person to let go and shed is an art. Right. Like I, I see that in the space now, there's so much energy and there's so much advocacy and there's so much investment. And, you know, sometimes I get nervous because I believe that like the right stewardship is necessary for these tools to be effective. And, and not to be harmful. Right. You know, you know, uh, Stan Groff says they're, they're non-specific amplifiers of human consciousness. And the ways in which we work with these things can make 
all the difference. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I mean, on that topic of stewardship and support, which you mentioned, I want to talk to you a little bit, you know, I know a lot of people think of, you know, psychedelic assisted, you know, psychotherapy or just uh, integrating psychedelics into psychotherapy. They think of, you know, in most traditional settings, you know, having a therapist or a clinician right there by their side. But I know some of the work that you do is also involved with, you know, helping people post psychedelic journeys you know, deal and, and sort of break down and, and help them understand what that experience was all about, not necessarily being there by their side during it, but this could be, you know, a psychedelic experience that they had weeks, months, maybe even years ago. And so I think that's such an interesting concept here, because as more and more people start to experiment and utilize psychedelics, I think you mentioned how powerful and complex they are being able to have someone that they can lean on to help them understand what that journey, you know, what the meaning of that journey was and what they should pay attention to, um, I think is so important. And do you want to share a little bit about some of that work that you've been involved in and helping people understand their journeys? I like to say that life is psychedelic and integration is a lifestyle. And integration of these psychedelic experiences, which by the way, could be the death of a parent, a partner, a child, could be a divorce, could be, you know, the uh, cancer, uh, and, and how do we deal with that? Uh, in many ways it's, it's similar. I, I, am I consider myself or at least effort to be, you know, spiritually minded and, and, and spiritual. I I mean, I, I have my spiritual practices. I pray and meditate every day. I, um, I practice yoga. I do, um, all kinds of different, I sit in ceremony and with all kinds of plants and, uh, and thank the land, right? Like there's, there's, all types of different ways to practice one's own spirituality outside of maybe like a religious context. And so when people are working with psychedelics, it's common that there's mystical experiences, transpersonal experiences, collective or intergenerational experiences. And to be able to hear about these without making a person feel crazy mm -hmm. <laughs> or, um, you know, because I, I've heard that a lot where, so, where someone is sharing with a clinician about psychedelic experiences and, and the person that, that's meeting them isn't able to understand or validate or normalize or explore like the, the meaning and how this might be supportive in the individual journey. So I'm always meeting the person where they're at and working to unpack whatever presents mm -hmm. and create anchors, create experiential reference points so that that can fertilize the lived life, right? Like psychedelics for me are, are not for another time and space. They're for here. Like they're so that we can be here better, be here more and enjoy this life that we have. Like the most sacred thing is what is, is, is life, right? It's, it's this. Um, so, you know, I, I'm also really, um, committed to, you know, the internal family systems way of operating with, with people and engaging with people. And, and that's a system that is, assumes and believes that everyone has uh, self energy, has, has inner wisdom, has an inner healer. And I effort to work with all parts of a person, including the parts that show up like depression, anxiety, and eating disorder and addiction in a good way, right? These, all the parts are intelligent. All parts are are, are there for a reason and like welcoming those parts, working with those parts so that they can calm down and the person can then access their own compass, their own intuition, their own like truth. 
and, and not trying to stop those parts or shut them down or, you know, repress them. So I work with people's parts in order to connect them to self and with the understanding that self is, is many things. It really is not just related to like this egoic narrative construction. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I want to go back to talk a little bit about, um, the use of psychedelics for, for optimization. I, you mentioned a little bit about that earlier. And I think it's such an interesting concept because so much of the conversation surrounding psychedelics right now, um, and for good reason, don't get me wrong, is on you know developing these, these drugs and utilizing psychedelics to help treat some very serious um, mental health conditions. And that, that's very, very important. But on the other side of it, you, you know, there's this understanding that psychedelics can also be leveraged and utilized to optimize one's own mental well-being. You know, I, for, for example, you know, I'm fortunate and blessed enough, you know, where I don't suffer from a, a diagnosed mental health condition, but you know, don't get me wrong. I have my good days and I have my bad days and I'm always looking to sort of expand my own psyche and my own, you know, personal, uh, an understanding of life and everything associated with it. And so I want to maybe, can you share a little bit about how psychedelics are used within that realm specifically um, to really help people sort of step out and become their better, their best self? Sure. And in a world that has been deeply indoctrinated by the war on drugs, which has always been a war on people of color. And I know we can talk a little bit more about that. Uh, there's a lot of fear and the, the ways in which these compounds and plants have been criminalized and the, the uh, outrageous human collateral that is in the wake of these policies, um, I think has positioned us in a world in which like we, we need clinical like information and we actually do. Like I, I'm all for the research and, right. and I have a lot of friends that are doing it and I like, I'm so proud of what's happening. And our context around medicine and healthcare is not preventative. It's not uh, for like good living. It's, it's like, it's all about disease and like um, problems. Right. I want to live well. I want to live. I want more joy. I want more love. And these tools can create deep experiences of connection, of laughter, of love. And I want that in the world. And, and I can tell you from my, from my own personal experience, like, you know, I, I'm also not, um, you know, I've struggled with plenty of things I'm public about, you know, recovering from an eating disorder, which of course has like roots in anxiety and depression and things like this, but I'm healthy, whatever I want. I'm like, I love my body. I genuinely love my body. And, you know, psychedelics have helped me to, to heal myself in these ways. Um, and psychedelics have helped me to like play and experience more pleasure. And that's important. It like, is. Let, let's like really cherish and the, the life that lives us and be in the wonderment which these tools invite us into on a deeper level. And they have for eons, right? Like humans have been eating psychedelic mushrooms probably since before they could formulate sentences. Mm -hmm. And like, this is, they weren't probably trying to treat depression back then with these mushies. So they were, they were like, you know, being natural and connecting with earth. So mm -hmm. I believe that we deserve to live well. 
I believe that we have a lot of work to do mm-hmm. in order to create systems that that like operate with that assumption. Like we we still live in a world that's so obsessed with with busy and productivity and more and achievement. Like what about just being? Right. Well, that's what I was going to ask about. You know, I mean, we we live in a world that's so overly commercialized and where everything is just driven by money and, you know, sticking to this routine and schedule. And, you know, what are you doing on social media? I mean, so, I mean, is it possible? I mean, do you think, I mean, if maybe we're at the very beginning of this paradigm shift, so to speak, is it possible for society to sort of shift and disconnect a little bit from, you know, this world of commercialization? Do you think that that's a possibility? Sure. One by one, right? It's, it's, I also deeply, deeply believe that any individual healing work that any person does is a type of philanthropy. It absolutely belongs to the collective and there will be ripples in everybody's pond. And like, we have a Herculean task in front of us and it's absolutely an all hands on deck operation. And, you know, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you don't have any diagnosable conditions. I don't anymore. And still, I believe that everybody has trauma. Yes. It's, the question is like, what, what is, how big is your font? Right. It's, it's, we all have it. Right. And we, we are all connected. There's really one life that's living through us all. And when, as long as there's like disease, violence, disconnection, oppression, et cetera, down my street, like I'm part of that. And I feel that. And, and if I don't feel that, then I'm dissociated on some level. Right. No, absolutely. And on that, you know, on that topic of oppression, you know, I want to just touch on inclusivity, you know, it's, I'm I'm very encouraged by the fact that it's um it's a topic that is being discussed a lot within our growing community of psychedelics. In fact, uh, last week I had a wonderful opportunity to connect with the Fruiting Bodies Collective. Um, they're um, out here in Portland, Oregon, and their focus really is on how to connect with marginalized communities, how to more effectively connect with people of color to make sure that they are not left out. And I think one of the interesting things that they brought up that really sort of stood out and hit me pretty hard was, you know, a lot of people of color, unfortunately, are scared to use psychedelics because you mentioned the war on drugs and this very negative stigma that's been tied to psychedelics and, you know, the fact that they are, you know, in most instances illegal. So how do we sort of shift that mindset surrounding them to make people, you know, from marginalized communities, as well as people of color, more comfortable and and create an environment and a setting where they will feel included in a safe way and understanding also how important, you know, welcoming psychedelics with open arms is to creating an optimal environment. What are you seeing from your perspective on this? And, you know, what is the framework that you think we need to start developing now to ensure that this is something that everyone throughout society has access to? Such an important topic of conversation. Thank you for bringing it here. I'm a white woman, right? Like I I have privilege by virtue of the skin that I, that I live in. And I effort to be as active in this conversation as possible. And and I can be more active. And I think even the language inclusivity is problematic because who gets to include? There's a domination based kind of model behind that language. Mm -hmm like diversity, like who's normal? What's diverse? 
I think that language is more equity. It's like, how do we be equal here? How do we sit shoulder to shoulder, heart to heart and eye to eye? And in my personal practice, which is very full and very busy and, and blessed and successful and all the things like I'm exploring, you know, how I can be more responsible, how I can give back. Right. My, my, my population like is predominantly white and I'm sure there are many reasons for that, but I, I can't help but notice it. And so, you know, I, I give money, like I've, I'm considering tithing even in my practice. Um, and, you know, because it, there's, there's questions around like, as a white person, how do we engage in this conversation without being tokenizing, without like, you know, it, it's highly nuanced and I'm constantly in the learning about it. Um, it's, it's a very serious problem that I believe impacts all of us, right? Um, even from my eating disorder, I believe that I was living in a model of, of hierarchy and domination within my own system that has been replicated externally with white bodies on black bodies. And I was oppressing myself. So I was doing it to myself. It wasn't being done to me. And there's like more, I have more agency and opportunity for liberation because it's at my own hands. But still that system had been internalized in my body and it, and it wasn't working for me. So I think that everybody really needs to take deeper levels of responsibility for their own participation in a system that is, that is broken and violent and, and wounding. Yeah. And uh, you know, because it, it needs to be from an embodied place, not an intellectual one. And when it, when it becomes, and it's very confrontive for people, you know, people right. want to pretend that it's not really happening. They get defensive. I get defensive. Yeah. And the system doesn't work for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It doesn't work so, for a lot of people. I don't think it works for anybody. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it works. I, in fact, I think it's, 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 it's also very challenging for white men. Mm -hmm. I think it can be. Yeah. It, yeah it, the, the system as it's designed has, has asked for white men to really be separate from their emotions. Right. And, and to I mean, be in a place of domination, which doesn't feel good. Right, right. And I mean, on that, I mean, I think psychedelics, you know, have an opportunity to really help, you know, you're talking about breaking down the ego and, you know, helping to move past certain things that have been so embedded, you know, into our psyche and our subconscious. I think if anything, psychedelics have an opportunity to really help shift, you know, our way of life and society and really create that shakeup in society that I feel like is, is so long overdue. I mean, would you agree to that? Totally, totally. <laughs> and it's like, um, I have friends who have been involved in a study in the Middle East where Israelis and Palestinians have been drinking ayahuasca together and exploring psychedelics for conflict resolution. You know, I, I can't completely compare the two um, inequities and kind of systems of hierarchy and injustice, but like Absolutely, psychedelics can serve a potent role in the bridge that exists between the world that is and the world that can be, right? And that activation of these tools in that way requires like consciousness, right? There's yeah. a lot of spiritual bypassing in the psychedelic community. And, you know, how, like, I think that the white 
kind of population needs to take greater levels of responsibility for unpacking their own racism. And within the space of psychedelic medicine, I believe as well that people need not just cultural competency, but we need representation. You know, what makes people feel comfortable is, is also like seeing themselves. Yeah. Right. So it's like, you know, I've, I've been in ceremonies or like, you know, preparing for ceremony where someone wanted to bring a friend of color who didn't want to go if there was nobody else of color. Right. That that's such yeah, an interesting. Anything I say it's such a it's such a like I'm so aware that like as a white person like I'm probably going to say things that are not like that may be inaccurate or like offensive somehow and harming. But I, I think it's better to say something than not, and it's better to be in the inquiry, right? Like I'm I, I hire people to support me in how I can be better with this. No, absolutely. And I think just having that effort, putting forth that effort, you know, and recognizing that you don't know everything that, you know, you're constantly looking to educate yourself. Um, you know, I know I put forth the effort to do that, um, you know, go below the surface, you know, whatever you see on the surface, whatever's being pushed out in the media, you know, there's so much more behind that, you know, not just trusting that. And I think that's so important about how we are better able to connect and form opinions that, you know, are actually ones that are connected to the root causes of some of these very serious issues out there. So, um, you know, I, I definitely appreciate and commend you, you know, for speaking, you know, your mind here. I think it's so important. Better than saying nothing, like you said. So I really do appreciate that. Um, and I want to just jump back to something real quick. You know, you mentioned, um, and this is more on the subject here of inclusivity, you know, about, you know, not, in, not only just making sure that we are, you know, including patients, you know, and whether those are patients, you know, people of color or people from marginalized communities, but how about at the treatment level, you know, with making sure that there are therapists and, you know, integration coaches out there from different communities and different religions and races. And on this, you know, I, I had an interesting conversation a few weeks ago and, it, you know, centering around bringing the Jewish community into the psychedelic space. Because Jewish trauma, let's face it, you know, um, you know, I'm not Jewish. And if I were, a, you know, a, a psychotherapist, you know, an integration coach, I wouldn't know much about Jewish trauma. So I think it's important that people are able to find, you know, therapists that they can connect with on a very personal level. I mean, do you have a little more you want to share on that? Sure. I have two dear friends who put together the Jewish Psychedelic Summit. I got to facilitate a panel on... Um, you know, Jewish trauma and psychedelic assisted therapy, which was a ton of fun for me. Yeah. It was right Rabbi Zach Kamenetz. That's who uh -huh. we had. Yeah. Uh -huh. That's who, yeah, who I was speaking with. Yep. Love him. And yeah, Madison and, and Natalie were partnered with Zach to create the summit. Mm -hmm. So I'm still involved in that conversation. And as a Jewish woman with my own sorts of Jewish traumas, like that's, that's particularly near and dear to my heart. Um, you know, I myself, I'm currently developing the Psychedelic Coalition for Health, which is launching, it will be, the splash page is actually live now. And we're launching with two offerings. One is a psychedelic education symposium. People like Gabor Mate, uh, Dick Schwartz, Rick Doblin, Rachel Yehuda, Carl Hart, people are participating in, in some way. And, um, the second is, is a training as an induction to psychedelic assisted therapies for clinicians. And it has a big emphasis on integration, which sometimes is lacking in the trainings that, that currently exist. Right? I, I believe in the ones I've done, there hasn't been enough space for me to properly like digest my experiences. And in our training, 
we are having scholarships, right? Like the, the reality is that the, the systems of injustice that have uh, oppressed people of color in this country have created financial situations where it's harder to maybe afford the training. And what I'm doing is what I can do is, is to, to offer scholarship positions, to like offer sponsored positions for, for people to learn. And again, it's like really an all hands on deck operation. I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, MAPS has a therapist of color training for MDMA assisted psychotherapy. I'm grateful that there are leaders in the space who are conscious of, of these, you know, opportunities, challenges, like uh, ways to course correct and be truly more aligned with what's true and good and are, are, and are taking that into action. But it's, again, everybody's got to get involved. Um, yeah. And it's so confrontive, David, it's so confrontive. People don't want to like, look at that. I know. Because it's inconvenient. And people, white people, most white people don't want to like, let go of their privilege. Yeah, I, I've seen that myself, you know, um, you know, in my own experiences here. And it's tough, you know, people just don't want to rock the boat that they're in, you know, with their life, and they just want to continue to move forward. And I guess, you know, um, perhaps that's their own prerogative. But I feel like if we as a society are going to grow, if we are going to evolve, um, and if we're really going to leverage psychedelics to, you know, for the betterment of society, it has to be a collective effort. We all have to be moving in one direction. And so, you know, I think having conversations like this, my hope is that it inspires certain people to maybe say, okay, maybe I can be doing more. Maybe I should speak my mind. You know, I may not be right, you know, but I'm willing to be corrected. I'm willing to be educated, but being able to speak your mind, I think is sometimes the first step towards actually doing something. So I think having these conversations is more important than anything else. And I think it's really an, an invitation for people to be more in the solution and in the learning, you know, it's, a, I, I'm super, super not into the whole cancel culture. Like let people learn, like, let's right. give people the opportunity to learn and, and let's be in the space of like healthcare reform altogether. Like, I don't know the last time you've been in a hospital, that's not a place peeling. That's, oh, not, a, that's not a healthy place. And like, how do we create better systems that encourage like greater wellness for everybody? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, I just go back to this is why I believe, you know, what we're seeing here with psychedelics, you know, can help sort of inspire and create this change, um, you know, because obviously the way we're doing things right now as a society, it's broken. It's not right. Um, and so I think at some point we're going to reach a breaking point. And I just hope that we have that safety net below us which I think, you know, psychedelics can play a role in all of that. But um, I mean, wow, Lauren, I mean, this was a fantastic conversation. I'm so glad, you know, we got to dive into some heavy subjects and, and, and topics. But again, I go back to saying, these are conversations we have to have, we have to speak up. And so long as we're constantly willing to learn and constantly willing to be corrected and, and be educated, I think, you know, having these conversations are so important. So I want to thank you really from the bottom of my heart for speaking your mind and for taking the time to come on here. This has been fantastic. Such a pleasure, David. And, you know, I, I will just chime in to say also that, you know, I, I, I'm the type of person I want to see my blind spots. And so I never know what they are unless someone shows me. Exactly. And, and like to let go of any defensiveness and like see it as an opportunity for like expansion 
And, and I think that's what psychedelics are too. Like they, they, they are invitations to expand and include and within our own hearts and ecosystems and also beyond. So may we all be um, psychedelic in nature and integrated in nature. And um, yeah, thank you. Thank yeah. you for having me. Thank you. I appreciate it, Lauren. Thank you so much. Global Track Solutions, Inc. and Psychedelic Spotlight does not in any way encourage or condone the use, purchase, sale, or transfer of any illegal substances, nor do we encourage or condone partaking in any unlawful activities. We support a harm reduction approach for the purpose of education and promoting individual and public safety. If you are choosing to use psychedelic substances, please do so responsibly. The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the Psychedelic Spotlight podcast are those of their own and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Psychedelic Spotlight and Global Track Solutions, Inc.